Good morning, everybody. Now, wait a minute. I didn't quite hear that loud enough. I do have a hearing aid, but that's all right. Good morning again, everybody. Now we're right on. You bet. That's a, uh, I have to tell you, it's a really thrilling joy to be a part of your, your church worship here this morning. And uh, uh, I appreciated your having a, a lady as a, as a part of your, your deaconess responsibilities. That's kind of nice. And uh, uh, I especially appreciate, too, uh, the uh, work of the pianist as, uh, as she leads out in her responsibility. Um, today, uh, it's warm in here, that's true, but I hope we can forget all about it being warm. Um, I, uh, oh, by the way, uh, I appreciate so much the, uh, uh, the work of those who tell the children's story because I'm old enough so that I'm now in the children's level, you know, and, and uh, it's wonderful to, uh, to have that responsibility uh, that is uh, a part of your worship hour. In our thoughts that I'll share with you this morning, you may have noticed my title is The Thief with Advance Notice. I think you'll get the gist of that as we go through our sermon this morning. The theme that I'm sharing with you is to prepare us, all of us, for no surprises when Jesus comes again. It, we don't need surprises. Um, during the time that I was pastoring in Duluth, Minnesota for eight years, um, I had made friends with quite a few of the pastorate in the city. And uh, uh, one of the, uh, the folk that uh, I appreciated a lot was a family a husband and wife that were pastoring the Lakeview uh, Covenant Church in, uh, in Duluth. And it was one of the biggest uh, churches in the area. And uh, one day the wife of the pastor called me and she said, Pastor Tillman, she said, uh, we're doing a study on, on uh, what people believe about the second coming, and especially about hell itself. And uh, she said, we would like if you'd come to my Sunday school class and, uh, uh, and, and give us a, a um, description, uh, let's say a, a little talk about uh, uh, why, how and why Seventh-day Adventists believe what they do about uh, Christ's second coming and about hell itself. And uh, I said, I'll be more than happy to. She was the teacher of the class. And uh, uh, I, I really enjoyed being able to go there. I, uh, I had an awful time because when you get into that kind of a discussion, 
you, you don't just pass over it quickly and make a 15-minute a uh, amount of thoughts. It was impossible. And so uh, <laughs> it was a challenge and a lot of fun, to tell you the truth, because uh, I, I gave them an opportunity to ask questions after my presentation on uh, on hell itself and what what we believe about it, and uh, uh, it was really a tremendous blessing to be able to do that. And so uh, uh, the biggest part, of course, of that is the second coming of Christ, Christ coming again, and uh, and so as we look toward. Uh, getting our thoughts of the morning, let's ask God's blessing on, on uh, his word as we do so. Dear Heavenly Father, quiet our minds. Father, help us to block out anything that's not important for our study of your word today. We thank you for your word. We thank you most of all for Jesus and what he means to us. Bless us by your presence. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. In Matthew 24, verses 23 to 27, and I hope you use your Bibles because today we will be hitting a lot of text material, and in Matthew 24, verse 23 to 27, what does it give to us? Matthew 24, and here we are, and uh, 23 to 27 says, then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall rise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, and he says, this is Jesus talking, by the way, Behold, I've told you before, behold, he is, um, wherefore, pardon me, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert, do not go forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Hmm. Believe it not. And then it says, For as lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And then a text when uh, I only... Um, Tended to go to the 27th verse, but I want you to look at the 28th verse. For wheresoever the carcass is, now just as Jesus talking, wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And other places where uh, that is spoken of is in Revelation, the 19th chapter, and the 21st verse. I'm not going to read it right now, but. Uh, uh, what in the world would be the challenge of that kind of a 
person coming uh, to visit humanity in Revelation 13. I think we'll go to it for a moment. Um, Revelation 13. And it talks about Verse 4, it says, And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And verse 5, There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and the power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And in a, a careful study of chapter 13, we cover a great deal regarding the, the factor of Christ's second coming. <clears throat> but imagine a, magi- a majestic being, a person with, let's say, a bright light, a false altar, by the way, a false altar. And... Uh, people healed. We often look at uh, things that take place in our world, especially uh, the television that we have in our world. I grew up in um, in a Pentecostal church environment uh, much of my uh, early years in life. And by the time I was uh, 17 years of age, Um, I had had it up to here, it seemed. And uh, uh, in fact, the the Lord didn't bless me with what is called the experience of speaking in tongues. Uh, It didn't occur in my life. And and whenever we, I went with my parents to, to that type of church, I always asked the Lord, Lord, if this is not of your choosing, keep me from it. Now, that's quite a thing to say. But I'd, as a result, an interesting thing is, and I can tell you this much, when I reached 17 years of age, I graduated from high school, and I bought the biggest Harley you could buy. Does anybody else still ride a Harley by any chance? Hey, there's one way in the back, still rides a Harley. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm still a, a Harley fan, but I don't own one. I, uh, I, I don't feel that's wise with <laughs> my years. If it flipped over, I probably couldn't get it up on its wheels. And, but, but as a result, the interesting thing and the thrilling thing is how God leads in our lives. And, and here in um, Matthew 24, it, it talks about uh, uh, the person that appears, false Christ, false prophets, shall show great signs and wonders. You know, 
I uh, had a Seventh-day Adventist young fellow who lived across the street from me as I uh, uh, moved from the little town of Cambridge, Minnesota, and uh, uh, I began work there in Minneapolis. This young fellow was a very devoted, straight-thinking Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, the way that I became studying I began studying was a Voice of Prophecy course. That's how I began to study. And, uh, you know, at that time, I had a lot of enjoyment uh, riding with a group of, of uh, young people who also had big Harleys and a few uh, others, too. They had, one of them had a BSA and, and various... Uh, types of really uh, good wheels under them. But you know, the Lord protected me from learning something that wasn't true. And I'm so grateful for that. And uh, But imagine, folks, a majestic being. And in our world, the power of the sensational is so um, among us in our world. But you see, look at Luke 17, verse 23, for just a moment. Luke 17, verse 23. And see what it says. And they shall say unto you, see here, or see there, go not after them, nor follow them, and then look at the 24th verse. For as the lightning that shineth out of the one part of heaven shineth uh, uh, unto the other part of heaven, so shall also the coming, uh, the Son of Man, be in his day. Then it goes on to tell how Jesus had to suffer and be crucified for us. But you see... And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. That's verse 26. And so, you see, it's so easy to accept the great deception of our world. A counterfeit miracle. The latest is in Revelation 13, 13 where people see fire coming from heaven and a great wonder. Uh, you know, we have quite a th few un unusual things. The space station itself is a, is a marvel, isn't it? And, and what would it seem like? What kind of effect would it have if some glorious being was seen coming out of the space station and, and uh, uh, for us to see and claiming that we should worship uh, and on the, the first day of the week, and so on, uh, a counterfeit miracle. And it's easier to accept the great deception. And so how will Christ come? Uh, in Luke 17, uh, verses 34 to 37, or Matthew 24. I'm going to go to Matthew 24, verse 40. What does it say? 
I'm going to go back to verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and what happened? Huh? What happened? Oh, it, it did. The flood came and took them uh, all away. Wow. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. By the way, how long was it after the door was closed and the ability to be saved? How long before the rain started falling? Pardon me? Seven days? A week? Yes. It, and, and so something to remember here is that the days of probation ended for those that were outside the ark, didn't it? Probation ended before even the rain started. But as soon as the door was closed, probation started. No chance. No chance. And so... Uh, here in Luke, also the 17th chapter, 34 to 37, it brings out a, the similar thought. But uh, and then verse 28, uh, as you look at Luke, um, uh, pardon me, uh, as Matthew, uh, the 24th chapter, for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And you know, in all the time that we have been studying about the second coming of Christ for many years. Uh, I was baptized, by the way, in 1951. And uh, those who still admire Big Harley, I, had a, I bought a 49 Harley the first year that they had hydraulic forks. And, and you know, I was... Uh, thrilled to be able to ride something of that nature. But uh, when I began studying about the truths uh, that I had never learned, what a tremendous difference, but I had never touched on. And nobody ever brought to my attention verse 28 of Matthew 24. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who is it talking about here? Jesus talking. Was he talking about the righteous? Huh? Now think a minute. <laughs> Whose carcasses? For wheresoever the carcasses, there will the eagles be gathered together. No. It's the wicked, isn't it? Isn't it? It's, it's those who have, have refused the, the blessing of coming to Christ. And then it says, too, that in the lightning that would come, 
that would uh, announce Christ's coming. And uh, uh, as a result, we have three common interpretations of uh, chapter 24 of, of Matthew. Three to- common, very common interpretations. First one is that those taken, now here it's talking about, one is taken, especially verse 40, 41, two in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Uh, I'm not going to go into the original Greek uh, and so on in study of this because that's a whole different sermon. But uh, this is really important, folks. Uh, two women grinding at the mill, one shall be taken and the other left. And, and the idea is a popular Bible commentary brings out those taken or secretly snatched away. Also, a, a popular a Bible commentary explains that the elect, as those taken and gathered by angels, those left being the wicked left alive on earth for seven years of tribulation, as it's called. Huh? I see some people nodding their heads. Good. You've been studying it. I'll tell you. And that's the way I was taught as a child in the background that I had. But you see, what happens to those supposedly that are wicked, that are left alive on earth when Christ comes? Snatched with a secret, secret rapture. Huh? What happens to them? What, what does that do? Doesn't it give them an extra purgatory? To pray them out of, 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 of a heaven like that? No. But that's what they believe. Is a second chance. When you go into that kind of, of uh, idea of those left behind. Not destroyed with Christ coming. And then n- number three. The third item is that those taken uh, are those destroyed with the brightness of Christ's second coming or arrival. Now, doesn't that make sense? Because there in Matthew 24, verse 28, it says that wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And uh, those taken, uh, being those destroyed with the brightness of Christ's second coming. I want you to, to go to Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. I, ha- I have to uh, put that in here because... I choose interpretation number three. Who is really taken and who is left? Second Thessalonians, the uh, second chapter, and I think the eighth verse. Second Thessalonians, second chapter, verse 7. I'm going to go back to chapter 1, verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. 
from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now let's go there to the second chapter for a moment. You see, it says, Then shall that wicked one, that's verse 8, be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. And in other words, the wicked individuals, they shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Who's coming? Huh? Christ's coming. Absolutely. Shall destroy with the brightness of Christ's coming. Hmm. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. In other words, the wicked ones with all power of signs and lying wonders. Even that person will be destroyed. And, and it says, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. And then it says, Why do they perish? It answers, Why? Why do they perish with the brightness of Christ's coming? It says, Because they receive not the... What? Come on. The love of truth. You know what that tells me? They knew what the truth was. But they didn't love the truth. They received not the love of truth that they might be saved. And then it says, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion. Uh oh. That they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth. But had pleasure in unrighteousness. Wow. In other words, those that are destroyed, the reason they are destroyed, God sends a strong delusion. God's not cheating them. He's giving them an opportunity. In other words, God always gives a choice. Remember that. He always gives a choice. I think it's Amos, the third chapter. It says, God doesn't any, do anything without revealing it to his servants, the prophets, and then they tell the people. Tremendous. And here, so God allows deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of truth. That's verse 10. For this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion. He'll allow them to see both sides of the issue. I, rem I remember being in, in a home, for example, where the uh, young couple had a determination that once saved, always saved. In other words, no matter what you did after you're saved, you couldn't be lost. And wow, what a terrible thing. And, and I must say, I confronted them with a little bit of truth. And there's an old saying that once convinced, one convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And that was really true. And I left that home really in sorrow to that degree because they were you could not influence them with what they had been, been, been uh, uh, believing. And God then allows us to see both sides of the issue in all of these areas of life itself. And, and uh, 
at the, as we look at the sequence uh, of Second uh, Peter, the first chapter, let's go to it for a moment. Second Peter 1. Verse 21. What does it say? For the prophecy came not on old time by the will, in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Holy men spoke as they were moved. In other words, you know, folks, what that tells me is don't believe just what one man tells us in our world. Uh, don't become so tied to a pastor that you don't evaluate what he is preaching in the pulpit. Often in the Duluth Church, I remember uh, I was there for eight years. That gave me a chance to preach a lot of sermons, didn't it? And uh, <clears throat> I had the Duluth Church and also uh, Grand Marais a beautiful group, about a dozen people in Grand Marais that were a part of a, a small Adventist church group there. But um, the thrilling thing is that when you establish um, a responsibility, don't look to just one man. I told people almost every time I preach a sermon, listen, if you have a question about what I'm preaching... Don't hesitate for a moment to question and, and ask me how I base it. You see? Because we as pastors, uh, no, we're not God on earth. We, uh, we're not infallible by any means. And, and I have to sh uh, share the idea that, uh, very frankly, I've appreciated your pastor who is leaving you but I wasn't afraid to tell him if I thought something wasn't correct. And he knew it. And we were deep friends because of it. And I can't help but bless him when he goes on to another church. It's not an easy a task, folks, to be a pastor in our world. It is a challenge. So don't look to one man. And so... By the way, in this sermon, remember that we are only talking about all those alive when Jesus returns. And so, in Matthew, uh, the uh, 13th chapter, it explains more thoroughly something that's terribly important. Matthew 13. It's explained. I want to go through that for just a few moments. Matthew 13, <clears throat> verses 38 and 39. What does it tell us? The field is the world. It's talking about the parable of the, of the wheat and the weeds, the tares that are planted together. It's talking about God's people or God's churches. Um, and he says, When Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, 
Declare unto us the parable of the tares in the field. In other words, explain to us, Jesus, what you're talking about. We're not understanding it. And he answered and said, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Capital S on Son. It's talking about Christ himself. The, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil himself. In other words, the harvest is the, oh, end of the world. Wow. That's when the harvest is. And so he says there in verse 40, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. And listen to the rest. And verse 41, 40 and 41 what happens next? And <clears throat> the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather, what? Gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. In other words, as I look at this, that's what happens first, is the gathering of the wicked, doesn't it? Absolutely. And cast them into a furnace of fire. And one, one special word is verse 43. Angels gather. And verse 43 says, then. In other words, the next thing to happen. Uh, it says, shall, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And who hath ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, listen to what I've just said. Because this is critically important for you to know it. And of course then, in other words, after the wicked die, you can go back to First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, I'm sorry, verse two, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. Angels gather God's people after the wicked are dead. It says they gather into God's barn. And also then, uh, to substantiate what we're doing here, 1 Thessalonians 4. By the way, a very good friend of mine, his brother used to be with the conference here at one time, uh, George Dronin. Anybody remember George Dronin by any chance? I just wondered. But his brother was in seminary uh, in uh, uh, Andrews University. And he, put a, he did a study on this uh, especially, uh, of one being taken and who is left. Very important study. And if you ever want a copy of it, I'll be glad to give it to you. Because 1 first, first Thessalonians 4, <clears throat> then it goes on to tell us something important. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. What does it say? 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 on. And he says here, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. <clears throat> For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them will, which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. In other words, the resurrection of God's people that have died. 
And then it says, For this we say unto you, the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain. And by the way, that's an interesting factor because those words right there, we which are alive and remain, in several translations, uh, it's translated in the NIV, uh, a very good translation uh, on most areas, and it's interesting how it says, they which are alive and are left is the way it words. Those that are alive and are left unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And then it says something very valuable. It says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Christ himself with the voice of what? What does it say in the King James? On that verse, verse 16, with the voice of the archangel. I'm partial toward the King James in a lot of areas, folks. Because here, it's, in other translations, it says the voice of an archangel, which tends to indicate that there might be several archangels. And that's not, that's not what it's trying to tell us here, is it? No, it's the archangel. And, and by the way, there's, there's other areas that you can easily uh, go to to know that that's correct. Voice of, of the archangel with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. By the way, who has the power of the resurrection? Who did Jesus tell uh, Martha, I think, uh, after Lazarus had died, Come on, a little louder. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and resurrection and the life. Yes. And so as a result, the archangel has to be Christ. I get into quite a tussle with a, uh, a uh, Protestant, one of my relatives, that didn't like my thoughts on the archangel. And they, they teach that the archangel is a created being. And that's part of the problem with, with other church groups. And, but you see, it says, uh, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first by the voice of the archangel. Isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? And then it says, then, then hmm, we which are alive and remain... And there again, the NIV, for example, and other translations, um, um, express, then we which are alive and are left shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You see, God is a being questing for friends. That was a statement that Dr. Dwight Nelson, who's pastor of, senior pastor of Andrews University Church, that was what he said. I've never forgotten it. God is a being questing for friends. Did you ever think about God being lonely up there when he has created every living human being and the resurrection hasn't occurred yet? There are a few that with special resurrection that are up there. But you know, the thrilling thing 
is that the redeemed are the ones that God is taking to heaven. And so God is such a being questing for friends. And in closing, friends, I want to share just a very special little article that I've gotten out of a book that I treasure greatly. I was trying to remember the name of it now. Thoughts in Springtime. If you've ever seen the book, little uh, booklet, but here's what it says. And that's my brightest hope. Someday I'll see him. The whole Bible is a continuing promise of his return. A promise first given to Adam at the gates of Eden as a heartbroken creator led his children out of the paradise. Can you picture that? Prophets and apostles foretold it, looked for it, and sang of it. That day will be soon. All the signs show it. All the events foretold in 3,000 years of prophecy are falling into place. War, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine, portents in the heavens, disrespect and ingratitude, economic crisis. We face the last great storm in earth's long winter of rebellion, a time when nations will stand helpless. Does it almost sound like it in our crazy mixed-up world? Yes. Nations will stand helpless, not knowing which way to turn. Men will faint with terror. There will be terrible conflict over religious doctrine. Men and devils will uh, try to impersonate Christ's return. But I'm not afraid, for he has told us what to look for. On the day he returns, every angel in paradise will spill out through heaven's gates and on the eastern horizon as our little planet turns. There will be a light brighter than a thousand noontimes, the creator coming to take his redeemed children home. There will be no mystery to that day. History's gladdest hour will not be clothed in secrecy, friends. It will be as open as his life was, something for all the world to see. In the past couple of weeks, we loaded my son, Timothy's, and, and his wife, Jennifer and Austin and Emily. We loaded their, a lot of what they own into a truck to head for Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's not, it's not easy. You know, Tim and Jen are going to work for a missionary group. Yes, Tim is leaving his job as a CPA in Fond du Lac and going totally on faith that God is going to provide what he needs in order that he can do the accounting for that particular Adventist Christian group with David Gates. Anybody know about David Gates? Huh? Tremendous work. He guides the work of about a dozen 
missionary planes. He just has obtained the, th the third helicopter that they can take up, that the missionaries can take up into the highlands of, of the Philippines and of South America. That's the Christian group, Adventist. Beautiful work. And so Tim will be doing the accounting for uh, much of that particular work, which is headquartered in Chattanooga. And so it's hard to look forward in this life to those that leave us in a sense. And uh, I have two sons. <laughs> they have the joy of being about two hours away from each other. Terry has been there. He works in Knoxville, Tennessee for uh, an unusual firm. He climbs towers that are 100, 200, 300 foot high in order to repair sensing equipment. But Terry has become so indelibly uh, involved with his church there at Knoxville. He didn't. He never used to sing when he was a kid. He was afraid of making a mistake. But Terry, my youngest son, often sings special music for that church, and he leads with one other fellow leading the song service, and and th those are thrilling things, folks. As you see. Your, your sons stepping into places where God can really use them. You see, those are the comfort of, of the verses in, in uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 because we have that great blessing. You see, it will be as open as Jesus' life was, something for all the world to see. Creation Rebellion, redemption, I watch evening fall across the valley. The writer says this, and by firelight I reach for the immortal words of Alfred Lord Tennyson, who said, one, one God, one law, one element, one far-off divine event to which the whole creation moves. For me, knowing him, has made life worth living. Does knowing him a very important, very definite part of your life, friends? Knowing him. Is life really worth living because of knowing him as a personal savior and friend? Through all our tomorrows, he will be there. Brightening the good days, helping through the storms, and how can we ask for more? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, before we sing our closing hymn, Father, help us to take these thoughts with us <clears throat> that we will not stop sharing this with our friends, helping to share what really is truth. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Precious Father, thank you so much for the blessing today 
of knowing what truth is. Bless each one that has been gathered together in this very, very wonderful place to worship. Bless each one. Bless our future by your presence and our trust. Help us to trust you, Father. Help us to know that you see the end from the beginning and that you will do what's needed in whatever our challenges are. Bless each one as as they go to their separate homes. And, Father, help us always to look forward to the day when you come not far away because we ask in Jesus' name, amen.